During Christmas of Katie Davis's senior year of high school, she left her home in Tennessee and caught a flight to Kampala, Uganda, because she was spending a week of her break on a mission trip working at an orphanage there. And she had an awesome experience. She was so captivated by the people and the culture that she made plans to go back after she graduated high school and spend her summer there before she started college in the fall. But when she went back that summer, something changed. She felt God stirring in her. She was beginning to discern that she wanted to stay in Uganda. She was feeling called to stay in Uganda. And more than that, she actually wanted to adopt some of the girls from the orphanage. Can you imagine that phone call home? Hey, Mom and Dad, I'm having a great time in Africa. Thanks, by the way, for buying that comforter for my dorm room. Uh, would you mind mailing it here? Because I'm not coming home. And also, could you buy me seven more? Because I'm going to adopt some girls here. Thanks so much. Love you. Bye. This is not what she had been expecting for her life. She was registered for college in the fall. She had a long-term boyfriend back in Tennessee. This was just supposed to be a summer thing. Maybe her parents even thought it was going to be a phase. But when she felt this call, when she felt God inviting her into something totally new, into a new way of living, into new life, it changed everything. And this is what happened for Elizabeth, too, which we just read about in Luke chapter 1. When the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, he says, Your prayers have been heard. Your wife will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Your prayer has been heard. That's what the angel said. That's a very interesting thing to say to me because I imagine that it had been quite a while since Elizabeth had prayed for a child. This is speculation, but imagine this with me for a second. Maybe when they were younger, they prayed for a child. When it hadn't happened just as easily as they thought it would and they were starting to get worried. Maybe those prayers got a little bit more fervent as they got older and closer and closer to the biological limitations that we have. And since Luke makes a point to tell us multiple times how old Elizabeth and Zachariah were, multiple times, Luke lets us know, there is an assumption that Elizabeth had surpassed those biological limitations long ago and that a child was no longer possible. I just bet she wasn't praying for a baby anymore. So maybe it was a prayer from years ago that the angel was referring to, or maybe, maybe it was a different prayer that Gabriel was talking about. We know that Elizabeth's childlessness was a stigma among the townsfolk. Maybe she had stopped praying for a baby, but maybe she had continued to pray that God would take away her disgrace. Maybe she was hoping that God would honor them in other ways so that people would stop talking bad about them. Or maybe she just wanted God to change the opinions of those judgy town people so that they wouldn't think this of her anymore. But when the angel says your prayer has been answered, your wife will bear you a son, I just can't help but wonder if Elizabeth thought, wait, what? That was like a thousand years ago that I was praying that prayer. But see, this is the thing about God. And something that I think we get wrong a lot when we talk about becoming Christians, when we talk about God wanting a relationship with us, we sometimes have assumptions about that means, about what that means, even if they are subconscious assumptions about what that means. We may think that God is going to give us everything we want exactly when we want it. 
We may assume that being in relationship with God means that everything is going to be easy for us. Life will be good. We'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Have no problems. We may think that if life is bad, it's because we ticked God off somehow and we got to get back on God's good side. Now, we might know cognitively that this is not true, but we don't always know it emotionally. I mean, y'all, I lose my keys in the morning and I'm like, why, God, did you let this happen to me? I think a lot of people get this aspect of Christianity wrong because the relationship that God's inviting us into is not a relationship, it's not, excuse me, it's not a life with no problems. It's not a life with no issues. It's not a life where we get everything we want. God is not a genie who's like, if you love me and do what I say, don't take me off, everything's going to be good for you. No, what we are invited into is a relationship with the holy. It's a relationship into new life, a new way of living. And sometimes we think that when we accept that invitation, when we become Christians, we're done, right? We've done it. We're good. But the invitation of the holy is not a once and done kind of thing. The spirit of God is always constantly, consistently inviting us into new life. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's important. The spirit of God is always constantly, consistently inviting all of us into new life, a new way of being a new way of living, a new way of existing in this world. And this invitation will bring transformation. Everything will change. Now, some of you may like, maybe like, bring it on. I would love change. There's this guy named Scott Erickson, and he is an author and an artist and a spiritual director. And Scott Erickson says he would love change. He's like, yeah, listen, I'm getting a little bit of a dad bod. I would like that to change. I don't do as much around the house as I need to. I could use some motivation for these projects. And also, I'd like my career to take off a little bit more. Bring on the transformation, right? God, this is fantastic. We do this with the best of intentions. I'd love transformation in these five areas, please. It's like a menu. This one, not quite that one. This one would be good. We do this in churches, too. God, we would love for you to transform us as a church. And here's how. We'd like more people. We'd like more money. We'd like fewer building problems. We pray that both the offering plates flow freely and the toilets, too. Oh, amen. But like Scott Erickson says, the thing about God's invitation to new life and the transformation that it brings is that everything changes, not just those things we want to change. It doesn't just change the things that are going wrong or the things that we don't like. It also changes our hopes. And our dreams, it changes our best laid plans. This story about Katie from the beginning, it changed her entire future. It changed her relationship with her friends, with her boyfriend. It changed her parents' dreams for her, everything they had thought she would become one day. And I think this transformation happened with Elizabeth too. We know she was grateful and excited. We know she counted this as a blessing, but I just wonder if at any point Elizabeth had like a twinkling of a thought where she was like, I'd always wanted a son, but not exactly like this. I'm going to be the oldest mom at kindergarten. Or we've already gotten rid of all that baby stuff we've been hanging on to for years. 
or we're going to have to find a bigger house because we thought it was just going to be the two of us for the rest of our lives. Maybe Elizabeth had always thought about being pregnant at the same time as her peers. Or maybe she'd always hoped to introduce her child to his grandparents. Or perhaps she always planned to name their firstborn son Zachariah because that's his dad's name and that was the tradition of the day. But no, those townsfolk asked her what to name him and she says his name is John. And speaking of John, what about her prayers for him? Maybe she wanted her son to grow up to be a carpenter or a physician. Maybe she wanted him to follow in his father's footsteps and be a priest. And yet we know, because Terry just read it for us, some of John's first recorded words in Scripture is when he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests, and he's like, you brood of vipers. I wonder what his dad thought about that. Actually, I wonder if this new life, this transformation that started with the angel's announcement also changed Zechariah and Elizabeth in the process of raising John. As they raised him the way the angel had instructed, as they raised this boy who was filled with the Holy Spirit before he had even left the womb. Maybe as they raised him and taught him and he asked hard questions about the way people understood God or religion or power, maybe they were changed too. John, who the angel said would turn the hearts of parents to their children. What if this couple who had spent their entire lives wrapped up in a religious system learned from their son as they taught their son that God was doing a new thing? Breaking down religious barriers, offering forgiveness to all, doing a brand new thing that John, their John, was going to get to prepare the way for. Talk about transformation. This new life changed everything for them, not just their childlessness, but their prayers and their hopes and their expectations. It changed their retirement plans. It changed their parenting strategies. It changed all of their worst-case scenarios, but it also changed all of their best-case scenarios, too. It changed everything. And the story that I keep mentioning about this girl named Katie, her name is Katie Davis Majors, and she wrote a book telling her story called Kisses from Katie. And she wrote this book when she was really young. She was maybe 20 or 21 when she wrote it, and it just told the story of her experience moving to Uganda and what life was like for her there. And she has since written a few other books talking about how her life has developed. She ended up adopting 13 orphan girls from this orphanage where she lives, age, like ranging in ages from, I think, 12 to two months or something, when she was 19 or 20 years old. And then later she ended up getting married. She has two biological sons of her own. So this makes her a 30-something mom of 15 children. She said in her second book called Daring to Hope that sometimes she looks around and marvels at how different her life is than what she ever thought it would be. How none of her thoughts or her expectations for the future included what has actually come to be. It has brought joy and love, but also heartache and pain and difficulty. But she said she has such peace with how she lives. Such peace, even though she's living so vastly different than she ever imagined. Peace, even though nothing was as expected even though everything was different. The transformation that comes with the new life God offers us, the new life that God invites us into, it comes with the gift of peace. Peace on earth, 
My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. These are the words of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This peace is a promise, not an erroneous assumption we make about what it means to be a Christian. This is actually a part of the new life that God offers. It comes with the promised gift of peace. And Elizabeth knew this piece too. Even though she was well beyond the years of a socially acceptable pregnancy, even though this may not have been what she was hoping for or how she was hoping for it, she still had gratitude and joy. Hers was a peace that transcended her situations. Even though the townspeople were never good to her, those people were ostracizing her for never having a child, and then they wanted to come rejoice with her on the eighth day. And I'm like, the audacity. And Elizabeth's like, come on, because new life brings a peace that transcends the thoughts and behaviors of other people. And even though those same townspeople treated her like she was ridiculous for wanting to name her son John and didn't believe her until a man validated what she had already had to say, I imagine she just rolled her eyes at them and smiled as she rocked that baby boy in her arms. Because new life brings a peace that transcends those who just don't get it. Those people who just don't get why she'd shirk this long-held tradition of naming your son after his father. These people who just don't get that Zechariah and Elizabeth are in this together. So they both knew his name would be John. These people who just don't get the all-consuming transformation that started in their lives the moment that angel appeared in the temple to Zechariah. We read this story and go, of course they're going to name him John. That's what the angel told them to do, and therefore they're going to do it. It's a no-brainer from our perspective. But the townspeople didn't know this. The story was still unfolding, and they just didn't get it. But Elizabeth was at peace. She was living into the new life that God had promised. She had been waiting not just her entire life for this child, but especially, specifically, expectantly for the last 10 months. For this baby to come. And I imagine that that waiting served as a time to prepare them both. Not just practically with cribs and bottles and baby clothes. But emotionally and mentally and spiritually. I imagine that the waiting gave time for peace to settle deep in their gut. So that when all these situations or people's opinions or other things came out. They knew. They knew that this was what God had for them. And even though this new life was odd, and even though they'd be questioned on their parenting choices and how they were raising their kid, even though they didn't know what to think about all the things that the angel said, they knew that God was with them. They knew that they were accepting God's invitation into a new way of living, an invitation into transformation, and that brought them peace in spite of everything else. So this is my question for us today. As God did something new with Elizabeth, inviting her into new life, and it changed everything. We know that meanwhile, God was doing something new with Mary, inviting her into new life, and it changed everything too, including the whole world. We'll talk about that next week. But my question for us is, what new thing might God be birthing in us? What new life might God be inviting us into, both individually and congregationally? Is there anything that's been stirring in you lately? Anything that's kind of stuck in your craw, that's burdening your heart, that can't let us go? 
I've been, been pondering this question individually, but I definitely feel it when it comes to the church too. Not just Dayspring, but church as we know it. I think that God is doing a new thing in church. I think that God is, is putting together a newer, kind of different way of being the church in the world, a new life for those of us who claim to be Christians who want to live out what that actually means. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I think it might look different depending on who we are and where we are, but I'm excited about the possibilities. But it's going to bring transformation if we accept the invitation. Everything will change. Our worst parts, yeah, but our best case scenarios too. Our hopes, our dreams, the things we had planned will be transformed. And not everybody wants that. We have stories in the gospel where Jesus let people walk away because they didn't want what he had to offer. But do we want this? This new life? Are we open to the invitation that God is always offering us? It, it is an invitation that happens once. It does not just happen one time. When we accepted Christ or joined the church or started that new program, that was great then. But it's a constant, ongoing invitation into what God is doing now. God is making all things new and making us into new creations. So what kind of new life might God be birthing in all of us today? And knowing that everything may change. Our retirement plans, our parenting strategies, our incomes, our bright futures. Are we open to it anyway? I don't think Elizabeth ever regretted saying yes to God's invitation. I don't think Katie Davis ever regretted it either. And I don't think we will either because just because it's going to change everything, it's also going to change everything. It's an invitation that's open to everyone. And I'm kind of scared to say yes to it, but I think I want to. Do you? Do we? We're going to take a few moments to ponder that question before Stephanie comes and we sing the next one.